Bibles to the book of John, John chapter 4. And if you would just uh, remain standing with me a moment longer as we read on this Pentecost Sunday, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. children or young people raised in the 1970s. We just want to make you feel at home this morning. With the variation of our life. John chapter 4 beginning in verse 19. This is what Jesus declares in his encounter with the woman at the well. Because the woman said, Sir, I perceive in verse 19, that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you, the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus replied to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. God, I thank you and I praise you for this declaration. God, we come into this sanctuary, God, ready to be able to worship in spirit and in truth. And so, God, I pray that as we look to you and as we dive into your word, that, God, that you will, oh, Lord, stir up the gifts of the spirit within us. That, God, that you will open up our minds and hearts to hear and to receive. And that, Lord, that we will encounter you in our worship, that we will encounter you in, our, in the word of God, and we will encounter you, God. Because, Lord, we can't face tomorrow. We can't face later today without it. About that kind of encounter. And so, Lord, let it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Our children, they are dismissed to Kids Church as they move to the back. They've already moved. I love it. How many of you have ever been asked to describe? The type of church that you attend. How many of you have been asked to describe your church? I think a lot of us get asked that. I get asked that almost on a weekly basis. And, and, and sometimes we will use terms like, well, Church of God. This, just this week I was asked, well, what denomination is our church? And I said Church of God. And the person I was talking to had no idea anything about the Church of God. And so... You know, then you go to a second layer of terms, and so you may use the word that we are a Pentecostal church, and some people will say that, you know, depending on what their church background is, they have no idea what Pentecostal even means. In case you are wondering, Pentecostal church means that we are a spirit-filled church and that we believe that the manifestations of the gifts of the spirit are just as real today as they are in scripture that we read, and so that's it in a nutshell, and so when we talk about being a church, sometimes we, uh, we have to ask ourselves, what's, how do we describe or how do we put that into context? Growing up with my dad being in the military, we went to a lot of different churches through the years. There would be uh, some places that if there was a, a Church of God congregation nearby, we would uh, attend there. Uh, usually, and so I grew up, I was in the Church of God, but we also attended the Assemblies of God. We even attended Episcopal Church uh, one time, uh, and we attended a Lutheran church at one time. We attended the Church of the Nazarene. I think I'm still a member of the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, we have attended Presbyterian Church. My first award Bible came from a Presbyterian church down in Florida. Um, we've attended a Wesleyan church. 
Uh, we've even attended a Baptist church. We've been in the United Methodist Church in, in terms of attending uh, some services. And we've been in non-denominational churches. And so I believe in the well-rounded approach of church attendance through my 46 years of life, I guess. And what we learn through that, I, I share all of that, is because in all of those different experiences, you learn that there is a wide variance in what church can look like. We use different terms uh, in terms of describing church, and, and so there are some churches that will be described. We use terms like contemporary or traditional. We use terms like liturgical um, or more formal or more charismatic. But we use uh, terms or descriptions that kind of describe a lot of times that ha what has to do with worship. Uh, you know, uh, we clap our hands, or maybe some churches do not clap their hands. We churches will be described as uh, one of the phrases that I have learned that people identify with when I say our work. We have a worship band that has a drums and, a, and and guitar and different things like that. They, oh, I understand that. And so sometimes we have these different ideas, and in Jesus' day, the idea of what worship was did not have all the varying definitions. There was one way to worship in the Jewish culture. That one way, that meant that there was one style, there was one law that was going to be filed, uh, followed, and there had to be one place that had to be at the temple in Jerusalem. So there was one way to do worship. But in this conversation that is in our text that Jesus, as he encounters this Samaritan woman, I, I kind of imagine him almost being in this same context of, of having to describe a worship uh, in terms of, and she obviously is somewhat familiar with the Jewish definition of what worship is. But in this conversation, Jesus turns the idea of worship upside down. He revolutionizes the idea of what worship is to that day and time, let alone to this Samaritan woman who was there at the well. I mean, we think about this and we think that uh, about that process of what worship was all about. Well, worship, when you look in the, the scriptures from Genesis to Malachi, uh, worship was all uh, the same. It was defined, and there were that those common elements that had to be present. I mean, one of the elements that we recognized was that worship in the Old Testament required blood. It required sacrifice. Oh, very from the very beginning, even when Noah, when he steps out of the ark, what does it? What what happens? It says there in Genesis chapter eight that he took every clean animal of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered a burnt offering to the Lord. Took of every clean animal and of every clean bird. That is a lot of sacrifice. And so when we realize and we think, and it says that in, in Genesis chapter 8, it says that that burnt offering that Noah offered for protection and for salvation, it says that it was a sweet or a soothing aroma to the Lord. It required blood. It required a sacrifice. We think about Abraham. When God entered into covenant with Abraham, it was a blood covenant. And in fact, they had to, Abraham had to dig a trench and fill that trench with the blood of the sacrificial animal and walk through that blood. And when we think about that, and all of a sudden we're getting these mental images, and, and in our day and time, maybe we kind of almost balk or we kind of become confused by the brutality or even by the, uh, the, the grotesqueness of the sacrifice and the cost of what the offering and the sacrifice was all about. Throughout the Old Testament, that idea of Abraham's covenant goes forward because if you had at an altar, uh, at an Old Testament altar, where the blood sacrifice was made, there would be a trench that would be built around the altar in order for the blood to collect and to pull together. Everywhere you see worship in the Old Testament, you see death. You see blood. And it is in the Old Testament that we begin to see the understanding that in order for 
worship to be real, worship required death. And the reason I believe that it required death was so that life could come out of the worship. Life could come out of the worship. You see, it is here that we begin to really think about, and in the Old Testament, it was very definitive about when worship could happen. If you go through the Jewish calendar, if you want to know when to worship, look at your Jewish calendar, and there were holy days, there were days of the week that certain offerings were offered. It was very liturgical, very ritualistic, it was very clearly defined about how things were to be done and when they were to be offered. In addition to the weekly routine, there were uh, three pilgrimage times of worship when everybody had to come to Jerusalem uh, and to be able to offer the worship to God. And so there was Passover, uh, which post-Christ becomes Easter. There was the Feast of Weeks, which now we understand is now part of what we would call the Feast of Pentecost that we celebrate today on the day of Pentecost. And and, uh, and, where, and, and then in the fall, there was the Feast of Booths or the, uh, the Feast of Tents. And so it was part of the harvest. And even Feast of Pentecost was about the harvest in between the barley and the wheat harvest. And, and in these feasts, these, the Jewish calendar dictated that families from no matter what nation you were in, you had to travel and make your way to Jerusalem uh, because that was the time for that worship and that was the place for the worship. You see, not just when, but in, Jeru in Old Testament times, it was the where really mattered. In the where, it had to be at the temple. Uh, you was, did not have the flexibility to build your own altar at home and, and just do your own thing. You had to go to the temple that had been built in Jerusalem for that very specific purpose. And so the people would go. They would go to the temple and they would take their lamb, they would take their turtle doves, they would take their oxen, they would take their bulls, they would take whatever their animal, their blood sacrifice was, and they would bring them to the Levitical priest. And it would be there at the altar at the temple that the Levitical priest would slit the animal's throats. Wouldn't the animal rights activists have a heyday with Old Testament worship? Yes, they would. And many times, maybe you ask yourself, why did God require that? Why was that the definition of what worship was really all about? You see, innocent blood had to be shed in order to satisfy or appease the condemnation of God because of sin. Holy God is unable to have sin in his presence. And so blood, innocent blood, has to cover, has to redeem, has to atone. And we look at that and we recognize that in the Old Testament, the pattern was being established. That worship requires innocent blood in that sense to be shed. How wonderful it is that Jesus Christ came as the Son of God and that Jesus, the only one who has ever walked this earth, that is without sin, that is without blame, that is without any blemish or iniquity or transgression, that he and, all, and his innocent blood was shed upon the cross so that you and I are able to be covered by him, that we are able to experience atonement in the power of the cross, that we can come today and say, thank you, Jesus, oh, that your innocent blood has been shed for me and for my sin so that I don't have to live under the condemnation of eternal hell. Oh, but I can have the life and have life more abundantly. And the reason is all because innocent blood was shed. And if we need a reason, oh, to come and worship God on any day of the week, oh, let it never have to go any further than to say, I don't have to do what Genesis to Malachi describes. Oh, but I get to come and I get to say, praise be to the Lord. For it is because of him that I am 
redeemed, that I have been forgiven, that I am saved, and I can have the hope of eternal life in heaven above, and there is nothing that is going to stop my life, my voice, my choices from crying out and declaring and lifting up the name of the Most High God. Hallelujah! Unfortunately, we have fallen as 20, not, is it 20, 22nd century? What are we now? 21st century? 21st century. 21st century believers. We have fallen into the trap of thinking that we want worship to be convenient. That we want worship to be how we want it to be a consumeristic approach in our mind that it's going to be when I want, how I want, because I want it, my worship to come easy. But if there is one thing that we see in the Old Testament example, there is nothing convenient or easy when it comes to worship. Nothing. Nothing at all. Worship is not meant to be on our schedule. It is not intended to be convenient. And while Jesus may have come and done this worship revolution, and when he had this conversation with the woman at the well, uh, the idea of worship being made easy is not scriptural. Oh, it's the psalmist who declared in Psalm 24, verse 3, he said uh, that when who may ascend onto the mountain of the Lord. You see, there are times when we feel as if worship is an uphill climb both ways. And we feel as if everything is working against us and that we have to be able to make the decision, are we going to ascend up that mountain or are we going to camp out at the bottom of the mountain and just take whatever will be, will be. Mornings like this morning, when internet's not working, my computer is not working, Lights aren't working right. Projectors aren't working right. If we were going to have a moment, I'll go ahead and tell you, my flesh wants to say, let's call off church, let's just go home. But let me tell you today that if our worship is dependent upon the conveniences that we are used to and that we like, then we are having a shallow moment of worship and it is not real. Oh, but when we come in and we say, I don't care how hard it is to climb the hill, I'm climbing the hill of my worship and I'm going to press in and I'm going to put in the work, I'm going to put in the effort and I'm going to focus my mind and I'm going to say, God, I'm doing this not because I feel like it, but because you and you alone are worthy more than anything else. You see, worship is moments like Job when he makes the declaration, naked I came into this world, naked I will depart from this world. Oh, but blessed be the name of the Lord. We have been blessed as a people, as a nation, as an American church. We have been blessed at Livonia Church of God. But if we are not careful, we get soft in the easiness. We get spiritually soft. And we fail to live out and realize what God really intends and calls for us to do and to be. You see, Jesus makes this declaration to this woman at the well. And he turns worship upside down. More than just to her. This is a groundbreaking theological teaching that Jesus gives, not at the temple, but at the well, when no one's supposed to be there, to a woman who's not supposed to be there, to a woman who is nothing spiritually special. There's the heart of Jesus. 
There's the heart of Jesus for everyone in all places. Because he says to her, the hour is coming and now is. You ever stopped and really thought about that statement? The hour is coming and now is. How can something be coming but is already here? It's kind of an oxymoron. Kind of like military intelligence, as we used to say growing up. Doesn't make sense. Contradiction. How can something be coming, but yet now is? This is what I believe. I believe that what Jesus is telling her is that the hour is now. You're looking at the hour now, he's telling her. But he's also telling her, the answer of the hour is not just now with me, because that's who I am, but it's also always going to be coming. Meaning that it's not just for me and you sitting here at the well, Jesus is saying. Oh, but it is for me and through all eternity that there will always be the hour now to worship and the hour will always be coming to worship. You see, all of a sudden, this changes, oh, the Israeli or the Jewish philosophy of worship because she understood, even though she's a Samaritan, she understood that you didn't just worship any time you wanted to, that there were days that you had to worship, there were days that you had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and that there were very specific liturgical patterns of when you were going to worship. Oh, but Jesus now is showing up and he's saying, oh, now is the time to worship. And not only is now the time, but guess what? Oh, it's coming. It's always going to be coming. It's going to be continual, meaning that we will never reach a moment when worship is not to be taking place. It's not just a Sunday it's not just a Wednesday. It is to be continual. It is to be continuous. And I don't know about you. Oh, but what that means is it means if I'm driving down the, in the, on the road in my car and I've got my worship music going, guess what? The hour of worship is now and is coming. And the hour of worship is not beginning at 1030 when we walk in through the doors. But the hour of worship, oh, is continuously Monday through Saturday so that when we come into the hour of worship of church beginning all it is is an extension it is a culmination of the worship that has been taking place every moment of every hour of every day so that when we step into the sanctuary oh we're not having to get our praise on or get our praise going oh but it is a stepping in to a corporate experience oh and let me tell you if we get 150 people in here that have been worshiping Monday through Sunday. Oh, we will walk into this room and the presence of the Spirit of God will be so thick and so heavy. There will be no doubt. I believe that we will see miracles take place. When we walk into the drive on the parking lot, when we walk into the doors, that is not the time to begin getting our mind in the framework of worship. Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is. At 11.41, now is the time of worship. And guess what? It's going to be at 11.42. It's going to be the time of worship. Guess what it's going to be at 12 o'clock? It's going to be the hour of worship. Guess what it's going to be at 1230? It's going to be the hour of worship. Unless the Lord moves, I won't be still preaching then. But the hour is still worship. And what we find, Jesus doesn't just declare this to the woman. But in Acts chapter 2. But we find the hour of worship, oh, fully, fully comes. Because not only has Jesus come and given us him, oh, but he sends the power of the Holy Ghost. 
so that not only does he change the when we worship, but he changes the where we worship. He changes the where. Look at Acts chapter 2. What did we just establish? Where does worship happen? According to the Jewish culture, worship had to be at the temple. Worship had to be there in front of the Levitical priests. Pastor Josh, can you grab me that bottle of water, please? The where was very specific. But in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They're in one place. Must be the temple, right? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were so filled with the Spirit that the people sitting outside heard every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard them speaking in their own language. And then they were amazed and they marveled, saying to one another, Look, are these not all Galileans? How is it that we are each hearing in our own language in which we were born? And he goes through and lists all of that. And they were all amazed and said, Whatever could this be? Others, they are drunk. If you're so full of the Spirit of God that people look at you and think that you are drunk on alcohol, there becomes a new definition of what worship looks like, right? Did worship happen on the day of Pentecost? Absolutely it did. We see God's spirit. We see God's presence being poured out. And it doesn't happen at the temple. It happens in a house. And specifically, it happens in the upper room of that house. Where are we worshiping? Where? We are not limited to worshiping God in this sanctuary. We need to be worshiping him because the hour is now and is coming. So we need to be worshiping him in our home. We need to be saying, God, give me a day of Pentecost experience in my house. Let your spirit be poured out. Let that fresh wind blow. Oh, let the power of God be poured out upon us in our home and filled and anointed from one wall to the other so that, God, when we walk in, oh, this becomes a place and a sanctuary of worship. When we get into the car, we're not just having to call on the name of Jesus. When a driver pulls out in front of us, oh, but we're just oh, traveling presence of God with the spirit of God filling our car. Oh, that when we're in our workstation at work, oh, that people come over and they start feeling the conviction of God. Why? Not because of anything that we've said. Not because we have been preaching. Oh, but because the spirit of God is so thick and so full because of the atmosphere of worship that we have created in our workstation that lives begin to be changed and transformed. Why is that? Pastor, I can't sing at work. You said worship is limited to singing. You have a mind. You have lips that can speak. 
to stop limiting our perspective of worship to a time and a place. Because if we fall into that trap, we are going against the worship revolution that Jesus has declared in John chapter 4. And we are failing to fulfill a day of Pentecost experience where Jesus came and he poured out his spirit. And he said, this is my spirit. I am pouring it out upon all flesh so that sons and daughters will prophesy. Oh, that the old men will dream dreams. That your young men will see visions. And that we will see the manifestation of the presence of God. Not just in the sanctuary. Oh, but we'll see it in our homes. We'll see it everywhere that we may go. Because guess what? Our bodies are basically traveling temples. The presence of God, the glory of God gets to go everywhere because of you and me. That we get to So Jesus turned upside down the when, the where, and the how. Jesus says, <laughs> Jesus says to her that my mind just went blank. He worked, he looked, he looks at her and he says that not only is the time now, but is also coming. We must worship in spirit and in truth. In worship, we must worship in spirit and truth. Some of your Bibles probably have spirit capitalized. Some of them, it may be a lowercase s. Part of the reason for that is there is discussion theological debate as to what spirit Jesus is referring to when he's talking to the woman. Some, the capital S, referring to the spirit of God. The lowercase s, reflecting the belief that, that it is the spirit of who we are. We have to worship him with everything that we are. Our spirit, we have to worship him. French Arrington, one of the great God-thinkers of the Church of God, made this statement about that discussion. He said, if you're going to ask me whether Jesus is referring to the Spirit of God or whether he's referring to man's spirit, the answer is yes. yes. Wait a second, which one, Pastor? Yes. And French Arrington says, yes. Because he says in the Greek, it is indistinguishable. Because at the end of the day, the Spirit of God, as believers, lives and dwells within us. And when the Spirit of God lives and dwells within us, the Spirit of God should become and will be indistinguishable from our own spirits. That all of a sudden, Oh, that you see, when Jesus is telling her to worship in spirit and in truth, he is saying that we've got to worship in the Holy Spirit, in the presence of God, in the Spirit of God. But he's also saying, oh, that this Holy Spirit needs to be in saturating us to such a degree. Oh, that there is no distinguishing our own will, our own wants, our own desires to be separated out from the Spirit of God that lives and dwells within us. And so we come and how do we worship? Oh, we worship oh, filled and full of the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, but we also worship him with every fiber of our being from head to toe. We worship him oh, with everything that we have. There is no halfway. There is no half-hearted. It is either worshiping true or not worshiping him at all. Not only does he say to worship him in spirit, but there's got to be worshiping him in truth. Yes. Be, 
Because something happens when we worship in spirit and in truth. It's this thing that we call conviction. It's this thing that we call conviction. You see, because when the spirit moves upon us, there is a truth of God and God's word that will impact us. And part of the problem in the modern day church is that we have fallen into the trap of thinking, oh, God's grace is so great and marvelous and wonderful. And that's true. That it becomes, that grace becomes an excuse to live habitually any way that we want to. And then we walk into the sanctuary doors after cussing people out Monday through Saturday. And we try to use those same lips to declare praise to God. And then we get upset because we don't feel anything when we do. And God says, you need to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm not advocating that we have to have perfection to come in and have an encounter with God in worship. But what I am saying is that when we come into any time of worship, whether it's corporately or whether it's individually, we've got to be able to come to a moment and we say, Lord, forgive me. Because I fell short. Don't raise your hands. But how many of you this morning, when you came into the house of God, at some point, you had to have a moment where you pled the blood of Jesus and you had to make things right with God in the process of the morning worship service. And that's, that's the way it needs to be. We, yeah. we use these moments. That, that is a wonderful thing. The problem is when we come in after having lived a habitual pattern of life of sin all week. And we come into the church and we don't feel anything. We don't feel the conviction. Conviction is the best friend of every sinner in this world. Because it lets us know that we have messed up and we are not right with God and we need to make things right with God. And if we time and time again refuse to heed the conviction of the spirit and the truth of God in our lives, we will end up in that place where we can walk into church every single week. And we can sit there and we can have the presence of God around us and us feel nothing and us have no conviction and it is there that we are the most dangerous place spiritually. So my heart and my prayer is that we individually worship him in spirit and in truth. Before we ever walk into this room to worship him corporately. Because individually, we need to remember what we said a moment ago. Worship him all week long. When we're doing that, the Holy Spirit will let us know your attitude stinks. You shouldn't have said that. That pride needs to get erased out of your life. That lie that you just told your boss needs to be covered by the blood of Jesus. And when we're worshiping all week long, oh, all of a sudden that conviction grips our heart. And all of a sudden, we begin to repent of lust that we may be struggling with. We begin to repent of attitude that has become rotten. We go through that moment and that process so that individually we are able to have a time of worship wherever we may be, wherever we may be, and whenever it may be. And so that when we come in to a corporate worship setting, it is there so that we are able to worship in spirit and in the truth. It takes the both. We've got to make sure that we are living out of what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. Flip over to the book of Revelation with me. 
in Revelation chapter 4. We see some more about the how the Lord wants us to worship. Here is John sharing what the Lord has revealed. And in Revelation chapter 4 beginning in verse 1, John says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, John says, I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. John was in the spirit, the Lord seated on the throne, who sits on the throne, it is the lawgiver, it is the truth, it is the word, and in the middle of this setting, he goes through and he describes, oh, the creatures, he describes the, the beauty, he describes the grandeur, he describes the elders and the 24 thrones and crowns of gold and lamps of fire and, and all of these things. And we come down to verse 8 and it says the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. Meaning they see all things at all times and all places and they do not rest day or night saying holy Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Oh, you see, there it is, that creature. Oh, with the eyes all around. Not only is that creature able to see, guess who else sees all things at all times in all places? It is God. Oh, we need to make sure, oh, that when we are worshiping God corporately, that we are not faking it until we make it. Oh, but rather it is a faith it until we make it. It is a praise God. I need to repent of what I've done. Oh, because I'm going to worship him corporately. Oh, with the same truth that I've lived Monday through Saturday. The same truth that I've lived my life then is the same truth that I'm worshiping him with when I come together with my family of believers so that we oh, can join the elders. As of right now, guess what? We don't need to see them. We can't see those elders. We can't see the creatures. We can't see oh, the, the four creatures. We can't see all their wings. We can't see their eyes. We can't hear them saying, holy, holy, holy. But guess what? There's more than 24 believers in this room this morning. There's more than four that are able to declare. With arms extended, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. You see, I believe that when we individually worship him in spirit and truth, that when we get to come into corporate worship, it becomes practice for what heaven's going to be like. It gives us glimpses into what the worship, it gives us glimpses into the encouragement it gives us glimpses into the, us magnifying God and lifting up the name of Jesus. And just maybe, oh, if we are sitting at the bottom of that mountain of worship and we look up and we think that's too high for me to climb this morning, we can look around and we can realize that there may be others around us that are thinking and feeling the exact same way. And when one person begins to say, I don't know if I can make it to the top of this mountain, but I know it begins with taking one step at a time. And as we take and declare one step at a time, I may not feel like it. My body may hurt. I may be tired. My spirit may be 
wounded. I may be bleeding internally in my spirit. Oh, but I'm still going to come with an adoration of praise and of worship. And what happens as we take step by step? Oh, someone else begins to say, I, if they can do it, I can do it too. And they begin to do it. And the next thing you know, we're not just connected by the chairs that we're sitting on, Pastor Josh. Oh, but we are connected by the worship. Oh, that we are filling the room with because we say on the day in the spirit and the atmosphere of Pentecost, we are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. And while we may not know oh, a lot of things about this world, we may not know what is to be. We may not know what is going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of fear. And sometimes that uncertainty and fear gets to us and we walk into the sanctuary and we become overwhelmed by those things. Oh, but I mean, encourage us. Let me, as your pastor, call us this morning that we may not know who, what is going to happen tomorrow, but we know who holds tomorrow. And we need to begin to declare our worship, not based on what we do not know, but we need to worship him and what we do know. And what I do know is that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords and that I am redeemed, that I am saved. Oh, that I am forgiven, that I am healed. And when we begin to declare, well, out of the worship of what we do know, it is there that all of a sudden God meets us in the middle of what we're going through. And let me remind us that nobody else can do it for you. As the musicians come this morning. I had a thought last night, late last night when I was straightening chairs after midnight. Be a pastor. It'll be fun, they said. It is. I'm blessed. Stay with me for just a second. How many of you have had conversations and I'm going to raise my hand please I, I've been in these conversations or I, and I've heard the conversations that one of the issues that our world faces today is a shortage of workers I heard a businessman in our community the other day, vice president for one of the largest employers in our county. And he said that what they're hearing in industries, all industries across the nation, factories, manufacturing, and all sorts of things, while they are used to operating at a 90% capacity, in recent months, for a while, they've only been able to operate at 60 to 75% capacity because they don't have the workforce to go any higher. One of the reasons that has been given for that is the extra supplemental money that comes to those who are not working. I'm not here to get political. I'm just saying that's just where we're at. And as much as we may criticize people staying at home making more than other people who are working full-time jobs, I'm going to take that thought and apply it to us spiritually when Jesus calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Because here becomes the harsh reality. If we think that someone else in our family or in this room is able to worship in our place, then we have taken on the mentality of thinking that we can sit at home 
and earn or gain the blessings and the favor of God without doing our part. And if we're just sitting passively, waiting for God to come and bless us with the supernatural, but we're not ready and willing to bring the sacrifice that worship requires, God is looking at us going, say what? my heart, church. The events of the last year and a half have definitely thrown our world and even believers for a loop. But just as it is time for the workforce to get back to work, it is time for believers to shed off the coat of the last year and a half and to say, I am not going to allow the enemy to silence the voice of my praise. And I'm going to worship him now more than I've ever worshipped him before. I'm going to declare that it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter if things are good. It doesn't matter if things are bad. I'm going to come and I'm going to worship God full of spirit and full of his truth. Because it is there that we will see a new day of Pentecost poured out in the year 2021. And when we bring the sacrifice of praise, oh, we get to see oh, the supernatural take place in our families, in our bodies, in our lives, in our workplace. And we need to come this morning. And if we don't know where else to begin, we just need to begin to declare, God, I'm going to worship you everywhere. I'm going to worship you all the time. I'm going to worship you, oh, in spirit and in truth. If you will stand with me this morning. And I want us just to begin to declare, oh, in this morning, this is not about uh, how we worship Oh, this is about us giving God our best in our worship, in our words, in our hands lifted, in us declaring, God, I love you. God, I thank you. If you don't know what else to declare, just declare the truth that you do know. Oh, that he is mighty, that he is good, that he is glorious. He is the king of glory. That begin to declare, God, you are holy, holy, holy. Lift your hands with me this morning. Oh, and let us just begin to worship him. God, we exalt you. God, I know, oh, that Lord, oh, that the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. I know, oh, that you have called each of us, oh, Lord, to be set free. That you have called us, God, oh, to walk in abundance and abundant life. And so, God, God, we praise you. Lord, we love you. God, we magnify you. And we cry out to you this morning, God. Let your spirit be poured out. Let your spirit, oh, be encountered. God, we come. And we may not feel like it, but God, we are accepting the call, oh, to rise up. And let the voice, oh, let the voice of the church, oh, sing. Let the voice of the church, oh, bring and cry out, God, we love you. We exalt you. We praise you. We prophesy before you in the spirit and the presence of God. Let your spirit be poured out. Pour your spirit out. Pour out upon us, God. And let us be changed. Let us be transformed, God. Hallelujah.